there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. It may be Labor Day, but on the Robert Scadbell Show, it's not a day of not working. In fact, we are, and it's great to do so because Dr. Rashid Batar joins me. A uh, special, uh, special edition of Advanced Medicine Monday, in fact, as he's uh, out there in the Bay Area. And we've got to, we've got to keep this tradition of healing on, even, even on the holidays, Dr. Batar. I agree with you. It's just because it's uh, Labor Day, I think that we should celebrate it by laboring. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? But, you know, it's no labor when you find something you love to do and you do it. It just doesn't feel the same as those that, you know, are just trudging through life because they don't they really haven't found what they're here to do. Well, I think Confucius said it best, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, exactly. So if, if any of us can be living inspirations to that, we would be honored to do so and be so. Uh, so in, in regards to kicking it off, of course, fall season, back to school season every week, they're ramping up flu shot propaganda, all the all the new strains, the variant strains, they're all there, they're going to kill everybody. Now, here's one thing where they're, you know, it's not that they're trying to frighten the public with this, they're trying to frighten, I don't know if frighten's the right word, but maybe they're trying to guilt or shame healthcare providers, doctors and nurses into also getting shot because a lot of them are saying, Dr. Batar, I don't want my flu shot, they're going to make me do it, I'm in a hospital setting, now they're saying that we're selfish if we don't get that shot. Well, you know, it's interesting. I believe it was Washington State, uh, the nursing association from Washington State filed a lawsuit when the H1N1 controversy was at its peak. And uh, they took it all the way to the Supreme Court where they found it um, in the favor of the nursing association, from what I understand, that it was uh, unconstitutional to demand that nurses get the flu shot. Um, I personally believe that it is our responsibility to lead by example. And this twist that the powers that be are trying to create by making the illusion that those that don't get vaccinated are irresponsible because they're supposedly putting their charges, those that they're responsible for, at risk. Um, It's ingenious from a strategy standpoint, but it shows also how desperate they are to try to get people to take the various useless uh, vaccinations that are out there. You know, that was kind of the thought I had, and I covered this a little bit yesterday on my Sunday GCN show. It's like if they're having to utilize these, uh, let's say, campaigns of guilt and other things it's like you know don't you think a nurse or doctor and we've we've joked about it the intelligence of the community because they've accepted a lot of things that are not intelligent but on some level okay they achieve the ability to go through scholastic settings and fire back whatever they're supposed to learn and such that you know couldn't they just appeal to their intelligence or whatever there is left of it to say hey look look at the studies this shows how safe it is how efficacious it is you'd be you'd be silly you're a doctor you're a nurse of course you want to do this but obviously if it's not happening something's missing yeah the studies that show that it's (laughs) satisfactory and that it's beneficial to the people that's that's the missing ingredient so they have to resort to other tactics uh you know of bullying and and um manipulation so 
Well, and of course, the, the, the bullying and, and you say the manipulation as well as these techniques by calling them selfish. It's all about, you know, getting people back into that collectivist mindset. Don't think individually. Don't think for yourself. Become a sheeple like everybody else. Go over the cliff like a human lemming. And, of course, that they're having to resort, as we said, to calling them selfish is an acknowledgement by the pro-vaccine apologists that they have no scientific basis for arguing herd immunity. Right. But, you know, they're, they're resorting on the impulsive response that the vast majority of the public will have. But allow it to fester there for a little bit and people will again start coming to their own conclusions like, wait a second, you know, why are these doctors and these nurses those that are out there that are supposed to get these vaccines, you know, that, that's, that are promoting these vaccines, but why are they not getting it themselves? Or why are a lot of them not getting it themselves? There must be a reason. And that's really what's happening. People are not as ignorant and they're more savvy than the medical profession gives them the, you know, the, Basically, the medical profession thinks that the public is still as ignorant as it was 20 years ago, but with the advent of the Internet and such, information has become more rapidly available. And so an intelligent mind or even a reasonably intelligent mind is going to ask the question that those that are telling me that I need these vaccinations aren't taking themselves and sure the media is saying that they're irresponsible. But my question is, if it's beneficial, why aren't they taking it? Well, I think that's a reasonable question. I mean, uh, it's like those that have challenged uh, people, let's say, to drink what's in a vaccine. Here it is, pour in a shot glass. We're not even going to inject it to you. If you think it's so great, here it is. I'll give you money to drink it. And, you know, I've heard these um, uh, contests have been put out, and no one's taken anybody up on it. Robert, I was the one who put out the challenge uh, in 2005, I think, or four, right after the congressional testimony when I got really attacked. This is before the medical board thing and before – the 2020 aspect where I said that I will publicly take a vaccine, mm-hmm. the thimerosal, all the preservatives in there, along, as long as whoever is contesting this takes it with me too. The only difference is that I will use my treatment modalities because they were attacking basically our usage of um, the DMPS and that the efficacy of uh, TDDMPS or the efficacy of my IV treatments you know, was lacking, et cetera, To et cetera. detoxify the metals, the different toxins that were coming in with the shots, in other words. You were saying, okay, I'll drink it, you'll drink it, I will utilize no, drink it. Drink it. I said, I said, I will take the injection. Even the injection. the injection? Oh, my gosh. I said, I said take, I'll take the injection. You take the injection. The only difference is I can use my treatment modality immediately, and you can use whatever other treatment modality you think, because they were obviously saying that my treatment modality had no efficacy. Yeah. So I said, fine, then you, you can't use that. I'll use it, but you can use whatever else you want. Okay. Nobody has ever taken me up on that challenge. I mean, we put that out in a press release. We did this. I said this to PBS when they came out there, and, of course, on Frontline, of course, they didn't air any of that. Um I've had that public challenge out for over over five years now, almost six years, and nobody's ever even ever once they've they've mentioned it and say it's so ludicrous that you know Butar is so unscientific that he'll even put out these stupid challenges. And it's like, well, if so so stupid, uh-huh. you know, then why? I mean, why wouldn't you take it if it's such a silly challenge? Then why not take it? Because of course, you and I both know they know it's a poison, and they would never subject themselves to such a poison. Hmm. So, and if somebody did, Robert, yeah, between yeah. you and me, yeah, they're truly. It, <laughs> then the then the sinister aspect it leaves and pure ignorance of the facts uh, supersedes. Right. Well, exactly. And you know, this is the thing that to me is a, a little bit of a, a light coming through that they're having to resort to these tactics now, not against the public. There's enough propagandizing the public that we know still exists, but that they're doing it against the healthcare providers tells me that they're a little more desperate. But it also is kind of strange because there are other uh, conflicting reports. 
about the uh, like for instance there's a story off of fox news i think it was covered by reuters national survey shows more young children are getting vaccines so despite public concerns they're saying that more are getting them so which is it i mean they're so desperate to say oh my gosh all the diseases are coming back because parents are starting not to vaccinate as much yet then they say well they are so there's a lot of things that are just i think they're all in a state of confusion at this point well i think it's a lot of like the unemployment numbers you know they hmm. say that unemployment is decreasing, and yet I just saw on Yahoo that they were talking about unemployment, and they were saying that uh, the actual problem with unemployment is far greater than what the numbers indicate. And it's again, you know, they're they're trying to pitch one thing, trying to say, oh, everything's great, everything is, you know, um, positive, and this and that, and yet the truth is quite different. And I think maybe the vaccination aspect is a similar type of thing they're trying to create that herd mentality everybody's getting it more people are getting it you know you should too and whether or not it's factually based i just remember dr batar i mean it's probably everybody's mom has at least said this once to you well if if uh, your friend johnny jumped off a cliff would that make it cool for you to do it too right that all are you well they're doing it mom honest come on why can't i stay up late they're it's like and yet as adults we we sometimes lose that concept well everybody else is doing it so we succumb to the peer pressure which is equivalent or sometimes even greater than what it was like when we were children absolutely and i think that's that's a uh, aspect of this right now that's going on in our society not just with health but in in all aspects you know in the insurance industry and in real estate and in, in finance everything it's, it's the same type of uh, situation that's going on and unfortunately you know when we talk about from the political perspective like ron paul is the only one uh, in my opinion, yes, that, that's actually standing out and basically saying just because everybody else is doing it doesn't make, mean that it's right. And <laughs> it, so every, the political parties, like this illusion that we've talked about before between, between the Democrats and the Republicans, it, it is exactly that. It's nothing but a distraction to really sway people from keep them away from discussing the real issues at hand. Because mm. um, I believe that they're both controlled by the same. The, the same agenda, the same agenda that's, you know, the Republican, the uh, Democrat, the people that control the Republicans and the Democrats have the same agenda. And so people like Ron Paul that don't have an agenda except to follow the rule of the Constitution are the ones that are um, by the media, you know, singled out and or reduced or minimalized. Mm. Like last uh, elections, Ron Paul, they didn't even give him an opportunity to get on the debates, although there was a vo- widespread demand for it from the public and and think the the polls showed in the internet he was the highest followed person on the internet as far as a uh, political candidate is concerned but yet the media didn't give him the fair the fair shake right well and it's four years later now they're having difficulty in ignoring him even though they tried but now the marginalization efforts and even the ageism right they've got ageism now they're saying Mm -hmm. well ron paul will be 77 when he's uh, elected president and he's in the White House. Is that too old? And Congressman Paul, I love him. He comes back and says, listen, tell all the candidates to meet me down in Houston when it's over 100 degrees and 100% humidity. We'll ride 20 miles in the midday sun, and we'll see how old, uh, who, who is older, in a sense. Yep. And yep. You know, he's got a resting heart rate in the 60s. He's got incredibly low blood pressure. For I mean, this guy is fit, and it's, and it's showing, I think, what we've talked about as well, that aging isn't about, let's say, dying and decaying from disease if you know how to take care of yourself you have a love of life you exercise you have the ability to be vital healthy strong cognitively not impaired well into what they call old age today well i think actually you know from the argument that you just presented robert that it would actually make more sense to have the oldest possible president we could for the simple reason that they've got more life experience and they've got Mm -hmm. more 
data that they've collected on the CD of their mind. Yes. So they have more, you know, they have, they have more uh, experience, more intelligence, more, I guess the word experience would be really the, the, the most sound word here to use because they have more life experience to resort on to make those type of decisions that somebody that's younger may not have the, the same resources to fall back on. I mean, I've often said that it would be nice that as we depart this realm and go into the next one, or for the people that are still here, when people that are learned and have made tremendous advances in science and technology, and those people are about to move into the next realm, about to transition, about to pass on, it would be fantastic to be able to insert a CD or DVD into their brain, Hmm. download all the information and the experiences and such that they've had, and then upload it in a young person's brain so that now that that information can continue from that point rather than have to be redeveloped over years and years and accumulate. You know what I mean? We, yes. have, to, we have to train everybody over and over again. And so the oldest president would really make the best president from that argument. Yeah, based on that, absolutely. We talk about uh, the, the technological explanation of one we had embraced and respected and revered our elders, and the elders' traditions were always passed down via oral traditions, via stories, all of these things. Now, of course, you talk in terms of the technology. It would be great if we could do that, but certainly, even if we come back to a low-tech me- mechanism of, hey, let's let's pull that out of them. Let's respect them. And, of course, with specific to Congressman Ron Paul, Dr. Paul, he's written so many books that the information is out there, and I agree, uh, but... We spend a lot of time in our Western world destroying old people and discarding old people with pharmaceutical drugs. And so it's a whole different realm than ever before. No, you're absolutely right. There's a tremendous amount of information to be harnessed. And it's not just the information in the books that they've written or in the works that they've produced. There's a, there's another component of knowledge that we take, that we, we actually take for granted or we, we may not even give it enough attention. And that is taking that knowledge and implementing it and the experience of how that knowledge was garnered and how it was utilized and and the applications of all those different concepts because you can have a book but you know what somebody has to now read that book process that information understand it then yes. then actually go beyond the theory and apply it and there's that's a whole other component but if you could actually download this information then that new child or that new being would actually have all those components because it's the same knowledge. It's, it's the same experience, the same uh, mm-hmm. application, the, you know, the theory taken to practical aspect and impl- uh, implemented, etc. This is a lot of information that you can't get from just reading a book. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about more of that implementation when we come back from this break. It is Labor Day Monday, but it is Advanced Medicine Monday simultaneous to that. Dr. Rashid Batar is with me, and we are rocking the health world as we do every week here. And I can't wait to do some more after this break. Say thanks to our sponsors. Coming right back, remember robertscottbell.com. Got the links to everything going on. If you ever have a question or comment, 866-939-BELL, 866-939-2355. If you're listening through naturalnewsradio.com, don't forget to put your email in there. Get your daily alerts as well. We'll right back with more of Dr. Batar after this. Scott Bell Show. 
It's not enough to know knowledge from books, although we love books and reading and such, but how do you implement the information? Uh, Dr. Batar joins me here on Advanced Medicine Monday, special Labor Day edition. I'm glad to be uh, live with you today as well. And, and Dr. Batar, I remember in terms of a lot of the things that I was taught via book knowledge were actually wrong. And, and of course, the living laboratory is life itself. And the most that I learned were from people that were literally alive and that had lived the principles that I could read about. And so I could see them tested, proven, et cetera, and then I could apply them in my own lives as well. Now, some of us can learn from other people's mistakes, but some of us seemingly have to go through the mistakes to get it knocked into our heads. And who's to predict who needs to use what or go through what to get it? You know, you're absolutely right. This live information aspect, as opposed to something like a book or a CD or DVD that you learn from, the live experience of learning and to actually implement it is so different. And you look at the traditional models, even even in medicine, look at this. In the, me- in the medical profession, I remember when I started from um, the clinical, from the didactic world to the clinical world and then rotating in the hospitals, I remember doctors saying to me, okay, now you've learned everything in medical school, now forget everything, this is how real medicine is practiced. Um, you see this in the movies, which is true in the military. Yeah. Uh, they were doing Vietnam, you know, the, the or Korean War, where the sergeants would be there, the experienced soldiers there, and the new recruit that had just gone through basic training, you know, arrives in country, and the soldier, the sergeant would say, "All right, you've learned all this crap. Now you want to live? Forget everything and do what I tell you to do." Yeah, you're like, "Well, thanks for wasting all my time in medical school and basic training. What was that?" Yeah. And that's, but it's true, like this with every every field. Yeah. You know, you can look at this in the finance world. People go through the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission, they take their brokerage licenses, this, that. Then they go on the trading floor and they're told by the, the old-time trader, okay, forget everything you learned. This is how you really trade. In every aspect of life, it's the same type of thing. And so the, that component of actually living and experiencing it, in other words, it's not so much the destination as it is the journey of learning and, and the that's really what makes the difference between being able to take information and applying it in a way that benefits humanity versus just having a pile of information that's accumulated that is never implemented, that's never utilizable. And so I think that one of the biggest challenges that we have as a society, as a world society, is how to garner this wealth of information and life experience that we end up losing each Mm -hmm. time a generation turns over. I think probably the, the quest for the holy... Uh, grail the, yeah the holy grail to live forever or to live longer it, that's probably one of the greatest reasons so that as, as a society as a, as a people as a as humanity can actually benefit from that accumulation of knowledge that it continues because each time that information transfers there's a dropout you know you, you, there's a drop in that acceleration of knowledge because as we start peaking then the new generations coming the older generations about to go out so right. that information not drops because it's going to take in from time for that new generation to learn what the existing generation knew before and then to further it so it's almost yeah. like a constant wave up and down and it would make it so much more steep of an exponential rise in accumulation of knowledge if we didn't have those dropouts. Right, and we're in a massive wave of relearning now. I mean, I think this is the embracing of the young people of, of Dr. Ron Paul. I mean, you know, that's one of the media's going scratching their heads. How come the young people like this guy? He's not like a young, slick Obama. He's an old grandfatherly type, but he's got youth on his side in reality as we talk about his, uh, his vigor, his, his love of life. And, because he talks the truth. Yeah. Because well, truth resonates, and those that those that are attracted to the truth will resonate to, to him because he is the only one that has any truth behind him. 
Well, what is it about the generations now that have been attracted by the lies and duped by the lies? I mean, yes, there's a resurgence back to it, but somewhere along the line, the young people, are, or maybe that nobody was telling the truth, so nobody knew where to go. I'm just speculating here as to where the gap was, because now we're back in that relearning phase. I don't think it was a gap in the truth, Robert. I think it was basically apathy. Hmm. You know, we just thought that we were the greatest country, and we just did our own thing. We got tied up with, uh, you know, getting ready for the weekend barbecue and, and the kids' baseball games and basketball practice and uh, our own investment portfolios and, you know, buying a house on the beach and flipping it. and Whatever, whatever the scenarios were, mm. people just got lazy and they weren't paying attention to what was really going on. So and we- then when the, card of, the house of cards fell apart, then it was a wake-up call. And now the new generation, as you've said before yourself, you know, they don't have the same opportunities. They don't have... Uh, the, the employment opportunities, things are deteriorating. And so they are going to be the revolution and they are looking for the truth. And so they are not as apathetic as our generation was. So we suffered from an apathy proficiency disease. Yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we have to reclassify it so the DSM will allow us to drug people for it. <laughs> I like that, the AP. Yeah, absolute proficiency. Yeah, well, it's exciting time. Honestly, I love when I meet people such as yourself, of course, that have a love of life and enthusiasm, a passion for something. And, you know, it's like as we go out into the world, we can find people that we don't even agree with, but they have this love of life that, you know, you're still buddies. We're still friends with them. And I think that's the thing that's different now uh, that there's was the homogenization concept. If people don't agree with you, you can't hang out with them. You can't like them. But, you know, for me, that fundamental starting point, do you have a love of life? Do you do you find something you're passionate about and you're going for it? You're trying to be as, as great or excellent as you can be. And there's a lot more that we can work on as long as nobody's in the process of that living life violating the rights of anybody else. Yeah, it's actually very interesting that you brought that up because I have some friends that are very close to me and we completely see things from a different perspective. We are totally different personalities, yet I believe the commonality of how we live and what, what we, you know, the thorough enjoyment of our engagement is what really creates that friendship. Yes. And uh, even though they totally disagree with me, it's, it's, in other words, I have a lot of friends that, that don't agree with me in certain aspects of life, but the commonalities that we have, you know, they, they, they know um, that I'm not going to be, uh, they, know, they know me as a person. In other words, they right, know I'm not, right. uh, yeah, I have no ulterior agenda. In other words, they can, they can uh, insult me to my face and I can insult them to their face, but if they're not here, <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm going to always defend them, and they will do the same thing for me. So we have a right. mutual respect for each other, and I think it's those characteristics that are greater denominators that keep you together rather than your opinion on certain things. Well, you know, that brings to light something we mentioned already, this idea of collectivism, too, because, you know, we could say I, I've never met somebody, but they're part of this group, and we'll automatically make an assumption that everybody in the group is the same. Then you, If you didn't know they were part of that group, you got to know them, you met them, you may disagree, but you like them, you have a great conversation, you respect one another, and then later you find out they're from that group, you're like, whoa, I'm going to have to rethink this. And, yes, and yes, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult part because I think most of the, the, the root of, of evil, if we call it in the society, or is something where we lump people in groups and we don't allow them to be individuals because, well, they're a part of that group and therefore that's all there is to say. And, Robert, the opposite is also true. There are many people that have the same belief system as I do and the same opinions, political and medical, all these different things, and I can't stand them as individuals. <laughs> 
It is it is funny that way. But yes, it, it really comes down to that. And I found myself in certain ways. You know, I'm an easygoing guy for the most part, although people go, well, you're, you're on the radio. You sound so angry. It's like, well, there are things to be legitimately angry about, and it's a healthy thing to let loose on it. And, and that's okay, too. But at the same point in time, you know, interacting with people, then they find out my views later. And they're like, well, boy, I, would, I, I don't like people that think the way you do, but I like you. What happened? Well, see, I think that's that's a very good point. Again, that when people say you sound angry, I think it's your they're mistaking your enthusiasm and excitement, and basically you are verbally accosting people to wake up. And that sometimes is a you know they're going to feel like if they get slapped, they you know verbally slapped, <laughs> yeah. they may feel that the person who just verbally slapped me is angry, you know. But it's not that they're angry; they're just waking them up, and so that's how that maybe the perception is. But uh, I've known you for a long time, and the last word I would used to describe you would be angry yeah you know that's the funny thing because even on on the show yesterday i had a caller call up and said are you really this angry i almost didn't know how to answer because uh, at the same time yes i'm legit you know when i see children harmed by vaccines and i feel needlessly uh it does i mean i'm a parent too and i i say like, look at what if they were trying to do that with my kid we've talked about the obligation that we have to defend our children even if it, it means to take up arms and of course i'm not someone that just automatically says, oh i want to go shoot things up that's just not me but at the same time i have a very strong uh, desire to protect people or the so-called innocent in this regard and especially our kids as you want to defend your kids and so it's perceived as maybe a rage or an anger that and there's also another aspect of of the government complex saying well if you have an emotion that's out of place we need to drug you and they teach children about that in school very early age so we get these mixed messages about human emotions as well I agree with that. I think that the word anger, I don't know whether that would be an appropriate word, though, although there are certain times when certain things are brought to my attention in vaccination of children and injury of children, as you just said, that infuriates me. That's true. And I do get angry then, and I think it's quite evident. But um, in the vast, as we, if you were to look at all the different times, like we've been on air together or whenever I've spoken, I would say the vast majority of the time I'm not angry, but you know, I may be almost militant in some ways, but there's <laughs> something that one has to understand that when you engage in a combat, yes, those yes. that are angry will lose because they are the, the anger is uh, blinding them. And when you go into an engagement, you must be very calm, you must be very solid, mm. and you can't be. I mean, passion is one thing, but anger is not conducive to winning a battle. Right. And so, right. I would say that the vast majority of times we're not angry, although it's hard sometimes to maintain that um, control and not let that anger rage when it is you appropriate know, even. It's visceral. I yeah. mean, you can't control that. When you hear about, you know, I, I, you know what happened with my son and, and you know the, the type of things that I'm dealing with on a daily basis. And so when you see somebody that makes a blatant um, misinformation type statement or, or, you know, a blatant lie, I should say, when they make these type of things, that's going to now affect thousands if not tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people yes that is that does make me angry but mm. that's a very i would say uh, and i would probably venture to be the same with you that would probably be maybe two or three percent of the time because people that are angry i don't think are happy and I'm, right. I'm a very happy person i know you're a very happy person so we can't be angry people but that's not to say that it's not normal to have 
certain things that would cause a person to feel anger. Sure. And I've, I've gone through these phases growing up, learning about my emotions as well and appropriateness or inappropriateness. And, and of course, there are rules about these things that, that, you know, fly out the window when you're really living life. And I can utilize anger for, uh, let's say, expression, as you talked about, with the passion, with the wake up call that's necessary. You know, I can't I can't imagine if, if, if you talk about tuning into NPR and listening to them, you'll be asleep within three minutes. <laughs> you know, and it's like if I was to do that every day on the radio, it's like, what am I doing? I'm the cure for insomnia. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's not what I'm here for. <laughs> no, I see exactly what you're saying, and I agree with that because uh, what's the purpose? It's like when I wrote the book. Um, um, I didn't want to write a book unless people were really going to read it because I love trees, and I know they're going to cut down all these trees to make paper to print this book. And you know what? I'd rather see those trees out there than have the book unless the book is going to actually serve a purpose and people are going to actually read it. Sure. It's the same type of thing. I don't want my book to be a cure for insomnia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, we would say it would be an improvement if it were not Ambien or anything like that, as toxic as those medicines are. But no, no, our purpose is more or less to wake wake people up uh, so that they live differently, live healthier, etc., whether it be within the medical community, outside of it, and all of that. And it's inspiring to be able to do this every week with you, Dr. Batar. I mean, listen, we're, you know, I know we're touching lives. People are coming back to you, coming back to me, and it's a, it's a great and exciting thing. Let's Actually, let's take a break. We're going to look at what else is in the news, what other things to cover, how else we can inspire each other, and those that listen in here on Advanced Medicine Monday special edition, Labor Day holiday edition of the Robert Scad Bell Show. Remember Dr. Batar's book that is so inspiring and great information in it, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. And I've got links to that and more at the blog today at robertscadbell.com. Coming right back after this. Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. There's an amazing story I covered on yesterday's program. I want Dr. Batar to chime in on it uh, this hour as well here as we continue the Advanced Medicine Monday as well on, on the Robert Scott Bell Show. It says this, half of Americans will suffer from mental health woes. This is according for the Centers uh, for Disease Creation and Promotion, as I like them. <laughs> but uh, CDC says half of us are going, are going nuts or already nuts. And, of course, I think the definition of nuts is anybody listening to what the CDC says at this point, Dr. Batar. Well, Robert, when you take into consideration the fact that Prozac is the most abundantly prescribed drug that has been prescribed, I think it's something like 50% or more of all drugs prescribed is, is, a, is an antidepressant. You know, you're not surprising by making the statement or the, hearing what the CDC has to say that half Americans will suffer from mental health. Just go by the number of people that have been put on Prozac and you'll start seeing that, of course, half the Americans, whether they had an issue or not with depression or mental health, they will after they're on Prozac. I mean, there's a book that was written a couple years back, I guess probably more than a decade, called Prozac, Pandora or Panacea. I don't remember the name of the author. But when you start looking at the uh, background of these drugs, um, they're actually of the same base chemical as LSD, a hallucinogen. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the people that had supposedly committed suicide, there was a breakthrough of people that were on Prozac that had committed suicide, and there was talk of recalling Prozac. Those people really did not die from suicide, as it was claimed, and there wasn't really a breakthrough right. of the drug. What the problem was, all those people, if you look at the mechanism of the so-called suicide, it was all the same. They all jumped from high buildings. They were hallucinating. They thought they could fly, just like back in the 60s and 50s or 70s, whenever yes. that was before I was, you know, before before our generation, but when people would uh, take the LSD, angel dust type drugs and sure. hallucinate, that's what it was. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, yesterday I said this on the program. I want to see what your perspective is. I said, I asked the question: From where do mental health woes in America really originate? Uh, my conclusion uh, was that the people who put together government reports that warn us that we will all have gone that we all have gone mental. I mean, that that's where it originates. I, I mean, if I go further, I say mental illness is a government induced disease defined by a deficiency of some FDA approved psychiatric medication. You know, it's funny because you and I did not talk about this before we went on air, and that's exactly what I was going to say, that this is government-induced. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, nutritional deficiencies don't exist, and if you say otherwise, you will be branded as having a mental illness. Well, then you look at the amount of, and this actually comes back again to the government because they're the ones who allowed this to happen, but you look at the amount of toxicities that are in our environment from the persistent organic pollutants to the various types of metals. We know that mercury is the... You know, second most toxic substance known to man, it causes the denudation of the neurofibrils and uh, of the uh, denudation of the neurofibrils in the brain. But also, you look at lead and the studies that have been done in lead showing decrease in IQ. And then you put those two things together. We know the synergistic destructive nature of these metals when they're put together. They have a one thousand percent increase in um, synergism as far as being destructive. You have a LD one of mercury, LD one of lead. You put them in the same patient population as we've discussed before. You have an yeah. LD one hundred. You'll kill all one hundred people. So you know, obviously, this is all affecting the cognition of the individual, and that will, if a person is not being able to uh, utilize their brain as God mm-hmm. designed it, and they have you know pain, or they have headaches, or they have visual deficits, or they have uh, you know. All sorts of different things, the neurotransmitters inside the brain are being distorted and, and the levels are being thrown off, then of course you're going to have mental illness. In yeah. fact, when you look at depression, and depression is being categorized as a mental illness, well, why are people depressed? When you start looking at the fact that the vast majority of people are depressed, they go to the doctor, they say, I don't feel good, I have this pain, I have this you know, issue, I have that issue, and the doctors do the blood work, they don't see anything there, and they say, well, I think you're depressed, and they put them on a medication. Well, wouldn't you be depressed if you were in pain and you went to a doctor who's supposed to be able to tell you what's wrong with you, why you have this pain, and why you have this issue, and they can't figure it out because they just have that one modality looking at the blood work and they can't see anything. They don't do the workup for the metals, the persistent and organic pollutants or the various other right. types of toxicities. They don't know about energetic uh, sensitivities, you know, whether it's electromagnetic radiation from your cell phone or whether it's a microwave or whatever that's causing these disruptions. And because the doctors don't know what the truth is, they label you as being depressed or worse, that you're psychotic, mm-hmm. and then they'll put you in an anti-psychotic drug or antidepressant drug or an right. anti-anxiolytic drug which is all categorized as mental illness. Yeah, and find me the first uh, CDC bureaucrat, much less psychiatrist, that actually says, hey, let's let's take a look at you and see what kind of heavy metal profile you have here. Maybe that, that's playing a role in there. I mean, there literally isn't anything. It's all about the DSM and, and, and you know, basically expanding the reach of the psychiatric drugs. No discussion, as we talked about, uh, nutritional deficiencies or toxin proficiencies, heavy metal proficiencies, as real causes to many imbalances of many functions within the body, including the mental and emotional states. Well, actually, believe it or not, in the CDC, I've, I've met with the CDC a number of times, Uh, And in the CDC, there is a division of toxicology. In fact, uh, there are a number of scientists in the CDC that uh, do believe that a lot of this is environmentally induced. And um, unfortunately, they don't have, they're not the people that are in control of making the decisions. But, you know, when lead was taken out of gasoline, that came actually from the, um, I won't say his name on the air, but he's a friend of mine at the CDC. And it was all his research and all his pushing that finally eventually led to the, uh, removal of lead 
out of gasoline because no. although there's still lead in gasoline, the amount is far less than it was. Remember and there was when a they lot had of that lead exposure going on? Yeah, remember growing up, they had that option, leaded or unleaded. I mean, that's something that you got to be old enough to know. Leaded gasoline? What do you mean? So, right. yes, there's acknowledgement in there. But in stories like this, they don't go to any of these guys that are the experts, no. even within the governmental complex. They simply oh, they don't. focal they don't point. Because, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just saying they simply focal point into the message that they want to perpetuate that every psychiatric, uh, let's say, disorder that they can claim exists is not anything to do with nutrition, toxicity, etc. even if the knowledge is there, the knowledge base within those environments. It's amazing how they ignore their own reports. Well, you know, it's um, this actually brings up a very interesting aspect of how our government works. And having been to the CDC, and I was very much the same like-minded as, as you are, where you're describing, you know, the, give me the first uh, CDC scientist that has talked about some of these things. But they are actually quite a few of them. The problem is that you've got now lobbyists that are lobbying members of Congress, and then Congress is calling, you know, on the CDC and saying this and that, and, you know, the, the nonsense that went through with the release of the data that showed smoking was bad and that led to eventually some of the uh, issues with the cigarettes and the tooth and advertising, you know, the type of, it was like a Mexican bazaar from what I understand. I wasn't obviously there at the time, but uh, we're talking to some of these guys from the CDC, the political aspect of when they have information that they've accumulated and what's released and what's not released based upon the people that control the CDC and based upon the congressional pressure, it, it, the truth is, you know, half the truth is always shelved and half the lies are, are the stuff that's put out as truth. For right. instance, I'll give you an example. Um, one of the things that that was interesting with this thing with the lead, with mercury, um, the lead and mercury issue I didn't know this, and maybe you don't, and maybe most of the other listeners don't, but when there's a strange type of um, cause of death that people don't know, the doctors don't know in that particular local area, in fact, it doesn't even just have to be in the U.S., even anywhere in the world when there's a number of deaths that occur that aren't explainable using the normal, um, using the normal explanations that we have, the Centers for Disease Control sends out a team to try to figure out what caused death. You, you, right. You're familiar with this, how of the course, CDC works that way, right? What, what most people don't know is that when the CDC sends people out, there are two teams. There's an infectious disease team, which everybody knows about. But there is a second team, and that is the toxicology team. Rarely are the results of the toxicology team released to the public. Well, it's very important that you mention that as well because – uh, realizing that if they did release toxicological reports, it would destroy the work of the virus hunters, the germ hunters, that would only find those in regards to the toxic environment that it exists in. So it kind of blows the whole paradigm for them to say, ha-ha, we need to come in here with our vaccines and our drugs instead of our detox teams. Right. My question is, though, why is it that the Centers for Disease Control, a governmental agency, is only allowing one part of the information out and why the other part is kept quiet mm. because if they're sending out two teams and the government originally the centers for disease control was set up to help protect the welfare of the public then why is the welfare of the public being put secondary to exactly what you just said the virus hunters because it's almost like they've taken something that was supposed to be appointed as our protective agency and change it into a marketing agency for the pharmaceutical cartel for the vaccine industry. Yes. Well, they can't, they, they've they, totally forgotten about the toxicology aspect, although they still go and collect the information. Yeah, it's they just have not been released. told on 
they've been told on a repetitive uh, basis is that the, that information can't be released. Yeah, exactly. Well, it destroys the uh, the big party between the government and the government with the pharmaceutical industry and with the media complex. And so even though they can acknowledge that they do these reports, they don't seemingly release them. Maybe we'll have to do some Freedom of Information Act requests uh, to get that kind of information out. But it, you're right, it destroys that very thing. And we found, you know, many people who, you know, went to journalism for the right reasons, the moment they started writing about something that was not allowed to be published, they found out very quickly uh, that they would lose their jobs and they either got along or they basically lost their jobs and they're no longer the journalists out there. That's when we asked, where are all the journalists? Well, uh, they, they're either blogging on their own and they're poor or they've just given up on journalism and they just write what they're told to write. Well, and that's unfortunately part and parcel of the reason that we're in the mess as a global society as we are. Yeah, well, that, that is for sure. And, of course, we've already been labeled, Dr. Batari, you know, we're orthorexic because we care about the quality of the food we eat. <laughs> orthorexic? <laughs> you didn't hear about this new diagnosis they made up. It's people and parents that are very concerned about reading labels before they buy anything or before they feed their children, particularly uh, if you care that you, you're worried that there might be pesticide residues in your food. You're now orthorexic if you care about the quality of the food that you give to your children. <laughs> I'm not making it up. I've never heard that term, orthorexic. Well, they just made it up. <laughs> oh, you are. I thought you were being. No, no, I'm not. Okay, well, they, that, they made it up, but I'm not. I mean, they're actually saying that we are diseased. We've got a mental or, or some kind of imbalance in us because we're obsessed with uh, clean food. Yeah, well, I th- you know, I think that when it comes down to it, I mean, you look at the reality, I'm sure that these people themselves are also concerned because they're not eating it themselves. It's kind of like what. Uh, the president of the Institute of Medicine, Dr. Johnson, had said during the Simpsonwood um, meetings that took place that are now a matter of public record, where they they were questioning the data from the vaccine studies to show that there was no relationship to autism. And when the epidemiologist stood up and said that um, there is a more than a statistical significance between thimerosal and the correlation with autism, and uh, Apparently, the Institute of Medicine, the President of the Institute of Medicine, Dr. Johnson, said, go back and look at the data again. And they said, they responded, that it doesn't matter how you look at the data, it doesn't matter how you manipulate the data, it is still statistically significant that thimerosal is related to the advent of autism. And he made the comment, and this is part of the, you know, this is a matter of record. I mean, th- these people, I can't believe they're so stupid enough to actually have trans- transcribed their meetings, but right. they actually did. And his either son or daughter was about to have a child, so he was about to become a grandparent. And he made the comment that this information can't be released, but his grandchild, his newborn grandchild, would not, not be getting these vaccines. Yeah. So it kind of brings home that point that even mm. though these people are out there in public stating one thing, when it comes to their own private lives, they're still doing what we recommend to our listeners that, you know, eat clean food, stay away from some of these toxic substances, and do the right thing for themselves and their families. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've got some more discussion uh, on uh, particularly vaccines. There's some uh, horrific uh, discoveries being made. I'm going to speculate on them regarding the HPV shot. I'm going to ask Dr. Batar to comment on Remember his book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, a sensational book in regards to putting this experience, the things we share every week here, in a very practical, doable things that you can do to prevent and, let's say, restore integrity to your body, your spirit, your mind, all of these wonderful things. And we'll continue with that on the other side of this break on the Robert Scott Bell Show special edition of Advanced Medicine Monday on this Labor Day with Dr. Rashid Batar. 
Talk in the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. We're back, and it's uh, time to wrap up. But we're going to do, before we do, some uh, interesting stories that are being released later today. Uh, the Sainvax gals are going to be talking about this. But the HPV shot, Dr. Batari, you know how horrific this is. It's taught, causing Guillain-Barre paralysis as well as deaths in children that they're giving this to worldwide. They're finding some recombinant DNA uh, associated with a virus uh, 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 attached basically to the aluminum that's in there, the adjuvant to create hyperimmune stimulation. Right. I think that's going to be released later on today, right? Yeah, exactly. That, yeah. it's um, The general public doesn't know about that, and it actually goes right along with the uh, – the uh, recent report, in fact, I believe it was just uh, this Friday, where uh, the pharmaceutical giant CSL, uh, they've basically blamed their um, all the reported side effects of children, what they call FITS, basically seizure activity, uh, to the blending of the various types of flu strains. And in Australia, uh, their corresponding body to our Centers for Disease Control uh, it's called TGA, I believe they stand, it stands for uh, Therapeutic Goods Administration. Mm-hmm. Um, they've basically found that um, there is a, an issue with the three different virus strains having been combined. Um, there, Of course, the CSL is saying that it has nothing to do with that, um, but these governmental agencies, the C- CDC and the TGA, are... Uh, now starting an investigation of this. The doctor that's in charge, the deputy director of the WHO Influenza Research Laboratory that's located in Melbourne, um, denied that the viruses had anything to blame. But, uh, you know, it really comes down to combination of not only the viruses, but then the preservers that they're using within the viruses and how the concoction now depresses the immune system and then further sets up the physiology to just be absolutely abused. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's no, no way to look at this other than with horror. You know, the way that they're recombining uh, viruses, combining them, mixing them together, binding these viruses into the adjuvants. And we've talked about the danger of hyper-stimulating the immune system via would it be MF-59, which is the squalene adjuvant used in the anthrax shot and suspected to be in others, as well as now the aluminum, which is commonly used even in the flu shots to trigger even more powerful responses. And in addition to the human papillomavirus, uh, you know, the, the bogusness of the, the, that which Gardasil and Cervarix rest. I mean, there's no definitive... Uh, let's say, proof that HPV even causes cervical cancer 20 to 30 years later because it takes PCR to detect a fragment of, uh, of DNA and amplify it thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And they say, ah, we found it, which is ludicrous on its face. Well, you know, we already know that there's no uh, real science behind any of this vaccine um Montrosity anyway. I mean, this uh, CSL report, you know, I've got a quote over here by Dr. Barr, who's the deputy director for WHO, and uh, it says, none of the other manufacturers have seen the same sort of effect with these strains, Dr. Barr said. He ruled out testing the WHO's flu shot recipe, which tends to change each year before new vaccines were ever used on people. This is a quote from him. It just, it's just not possible because this is more or less ju- a just-in-time type of a vaccine. So, you know, they're saying that things such as chelation or things such as vitamins or, you know, homeopathy, whatever you want to say, any of the non-conventional treatment modalities, you know, there's not enough studies that have been used to justify the use of these things and, and to, uh, to measure efficacy. And yet this thing with the vaccine, hey, you know, they, we don't have enough time to do a study because, you know, it's immediately that we need to use this in order to get the benefit from it because we don't have time to do the studies. 
It's the most ludicrous argument that has ever been made. Well, you think about all the years that supposedly went into investigation before they finally released the shot, and then basically they, you know, like these these old shots, the 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 polio things. All you know, they've been around for years. Not that we're advocating their use per se, because we know better, but. Here they have every year supposedly a new one coming out. It's like, where's the time to test anything about this shot? Whether it's efficacious, whether it's safe, we know that they don't conduct it. But that alone should be enough to question the sanity of those people promoting this agenda at CDC. You're absolutely right. You know, it's interesting over here. It says, while the different brands of seasonal influenza vaccine use the same strains of virus, there are differences in manufacturing processes that may result in the difference in the biology of the vaccine. Uh, leading to the widespread side effects seen in children last year. Hmm. It's really incredible. Well, you know, the wake-up call that we can provide every week here, and of course with your book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, I mean, uh, listen, we've got a lot of people that, you know, are waking up and they need the information, the knowledge, the comfort, the strength, and the uh, uh, the confidence, if you will, to stand up to these bullies, and they are. They're bullies in government, they're bullies in, in the medical field, uh, and there are bullies everywhere, and at this point, we cannot succumb to their bullying. And the bullying is a tactic that's always used by those that don't have the real information, mm. the real science, to back up the real technology, to back up what they're saying. So they, they resort to the bullying, and I think that in itself is evidence enough that that we're on the right and they're on the wrong. Yeah, bullies need the bluster. They need to be able to puff themselves up like, you know, a, a, a bullfrog or something to make them look bigger so that they are not found out to be the wimpy little wussy uh, boys and girls that they are and promoting an agenda that is very harmful to the health and safety of all the children that we're trying to genuinely protect and save here via the natural principles that we know. And in, in fact, you know, even if you don't use any of the natural principles, mm. Just don't do this because it clearly is unnatural. Yeah. You, you know, in other words, if you don't believe in um, doing vitamin C or doing um, silver or whatever solutions, there may be, even like a simple thing as just washing your freaking hands, you know, <laughs> yes. at least just don't put something foreign into your body that was never meant to be there with yeah. the DNA addicts and with the various metals and the various chemicals and the various mutated human you know, DNA lines, and et cetera, et cetera. Just don't put that in your body. Exactly. I would much rather take that risk of getting the disease or my child getting the disease than to take a greater risk by giving them something that's not supposed to be in the body and then get a side effect that is seizure, right. autism, Asperger's, More uh, ADHD, yeah. you know, or, or death. Well, we have the tools to help people out of it, and that's why we can speak in this way very confidently. We're only asking you to step up, acknowledge the, what is right, truthful, and factual, and then apply it in your own life. And that's what we're here for. And another great hour of health, freedom, and liberty with you, Dr. Batar. Thank you, Robert. It's always good to be here. Thanks for coming out on this holiday. Uh, weekend continues here on the Advanced Medicine Monday, and uh, we're going to wrap it up for the day now. But thank you for being here. Dr. Batar, of course, we've got all the links at robertscadbell.com to his book. Of course, medicalrewind.com, another great place to go. And we've got lots more healing to go here every day on the Robert Scadbell Show. As we wrap it up, this is what we remind you and simply live this as we do, that the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Show.